Praise God. Well, let's praise God for His Word and for this time to be together today. You know, um, I don't know if you've ever been to a, a mall or a carnival and uh, they have an artist there and he is doing caricatures. Have you ever seen the characters? caricatures that they do? And what a caricature artist does is he accentuates one or two characteristics of your face or your body in a pronounced way that's kind of humorous. And so uh, Lori's brother, Mark, is actually makes a living this way. He sets up at the Mall of America in Minnesota, and he uh, does this uh, full time. And so um, it's pretty interesting to see. I've got some of his uh, drawings. I think I've got them up here. Yeah. Okay. Nope. Is it coming up? Oh, there it is. I don't, th I don't know if you can see this. Yeah, it's a little blurry there. But this is... Uh, this is uh, Bill and uh, Leah with uh, Mark the Artist, and he drew a picture of them. It's a little blurry. I'm sorry about that. But uh, actually, Bill and Leah, we prayed for their son Jackson last week. Do you remember? He has the heart condition. And uh, I want to tell you, God answered prayer. He's coming out of the hospital now, and he's going to be uh, tomorrow. He's going home. So praise God for that. Uh, but Mark is right here. Uh, this is Mark, and then this is a caricature of himself. Pretty interesting. You know, sometimes caricatures are kind of funny because a lot of times um, we look at ourselves sometimes. You know, if you, I remember when I was a teenager, and if I would get a pimple, and I would get acne, and I would have these pimples, and when I looked in the mirror, I didn't see my face. That's all I saw was my pimple or my pimples, you know, and they would bother me so much. I try to cover them up. I go into my mother's, uh, uh, you know, makeup thing and try to put a little on, <laughs> cover it up some way to cover up that make that, that pimple, you know. But a lot of times caricatures are like that. They accentuate different things. So this is actually uh, a picture of Lori's family. Can anybody know which one is Lori? All right, if you said this one, you're right, this one. It's, it's, uh, this is, that's Lori when she was a teenager. And so, um, or uh, how old were you there, Lori? Eight. Eight years old. Oh, okay. You look older than that. So, um, but I've got some other ones. Anybody know who this guy is? Definitely, Will Smith, right? So the artist uh, accentuates his ears, right? Because uh, Will Smith kind of does have those ears and then the long head, and so it's accentuated. How about this person? Yeah, Harry Potter, right? He's got his big glasses and then his uh, little chin. And then uh, how about this one? You probably don't know who this is. Mick Jagger. Nope, it's not Mick Jagger. No. So this is kind of weird. You know who this is? Oh, yeah. One of the most handsome guys around is Brad Pitt. So it's kind of funny that sometimes an artist can accentuate so much, a character artist can accentuate so much that we don't even recognize the individual. And so what I'm trying to say to you is this. Sometimes... We have a caricature of God in our mind. And what happens is 
there is some certain attribute of God that is accentuated so much in our minds that it actually causes a distortion of who God really is. That, that can happen. It can happen with people. We can have a, uh, a disagreement with somebody and we really think that person is, oh man, I can't stand that person. They're always doing that. And it just colors the whole persona of that person in our minds. That's a lot of reasons why divorce happens. Because one instance happens or incidences over a time period and then there's no reconciliation that's happened because something has prevented that in our minds of ever reconciling. But you know who's the greatest caricature artist of all is Satan. And so he will try to make us think that God is something other than he is. And so today I wanted to talk about belonging to God. But you can't belong to God if you think he's out to get you. If you think he's out to make your life miserable, if you surrendered your entire life to him, you would think there would be something wrong with that. But you know, as we've been studying about and been experiencing drawing near to God because he, when we do that, he comes near to us. It's a beautiful picture of God drawing closer to us. Now, why wouldn't a person draw close to God? Why wouldn't a person who understands and knows that God loves them so much that he sent his son to die for them, why wouldn't they want to be close to him? And I want to tell you, sometimes it's because we've got a wrong picture of who God is. And so I wanted to think about some of these things here, you know, because if you look back at, in Genesis and the very first temptation, you look about that and God makes this beautiful garden and he tells Adam and Eve, he says this in, in Genesis 2.17, he says, God commanded the man, you're free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you're not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. So what they said, what God says, you can eat anything but that one tree. What do you think they wanted? We always want what we're not supposed to have. And so that's what temptation is all about. And then what does Satan do? Satan comes to Adam and Eve and he distorts the command and he distorts the character of God. This is what he says. You will not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be just like God, knowing good and evil. In fact, he's inferring that God is keeping something good from them because God is a killjoy. He'll ruin your life. You get too serious with God, you're going to get screwed up. God still does that. Uh, Satan still does that today. Some people are afraid to draw closer to God because, like what happened last week, we might get emotional. We might actually break down and cry before Him. You know, I love that we were up front at this altar calling out to God last week, just broken before him. We're drawing near to God, and God is drawing near to us. But it doesn't stop there. You know, this is, this is a process that God has us in, a process to change us, and then also to reveal who he is and what he's like. And a lot of times, we have taken from our past experiences, and we have projected them onto God and we've made him out to be somebody that he's not. 
Like, for instance, if you look at God as a judge, some people look at God, when they think of a judge, they think of an angry judge who has a big mallet and he's just ready to wham them on the head. And a lot of times when people think like this, they don't want to come close to God. They think that God's going to do something that, um, that he's always judging them, that he's always condemning them. I've talked to Christians, Christians that have been Christians for many, many years, and they don't, when they read the Bible, they always feel guilty. When they read the Bible or when they hear a sermon or something, they feel as though God is always judging them, condemning them. They don't feel any sense of love from God. And a lot of times, when I talk to them further and I hear about their story, a lot of times it actually comes from a place even of their parents. How, their par how they reacted with their parents. How they had a relationship with their parents. And if it was critical and demanding and demeaning or abusive or absent, a lot of times they've transferred this onto God. And then they feel distant from God. They feel like they can't connect to God. And so a distorted image has been uh, transferred onto their, onto their view of God. And it can be, it can be crippling to a person's faith. I remember, though, when I first thought about God as a judge, and I, and I kind of had a, a situation with this because I kind of brought into my, my upbringing, my religious upbringing was uh, Catholicism. And uh, so there was a large emphasis about sin and about guilt and about condemnation. And plus, my father was pretty overly critical of me. So when I first became a Christian, I had this concept. I wasn't sure if I could approach God. And then I began to then uh, understand what the Bible said, that he actually accepts me, that he loves me, and he cares about me. And it began to change. Things began to change. I remember this one uh, song that uh, uh, was by Michael Card. And um, one of the lines that I thought was so profound and really helped me was from the song Jubilee. And it's the bridge that goes into the chorus, but it simply says, to be so completely guilty and given over to despair to look into your judge's face and see a savior there. That is so powerful. Instead of, God is a judge. He, he is a judge. But he's a judge who is forgiving, who's merciful. And when we look at God as judge according to the scripture and according to what the Bible says, we see a savior there. We see a savior that is there to forgive us. It's powerful. It's powerful to understand that and know that and experience that in our lives. Now, for others, the image of God is completely opposite of that of a judge. It's more like a doting grandfather or Santa Claus. And uh, some people just feel like they could just use God whenever they want to. Whenever they're in a crisis, I'm going to call on God. Save the day. He's more like a superman. But they don't have a relationship. There's a distance with God. And there's no relationship there. And so they have a distorted view of God. They haven't come to know him as a God who wants to have, be in relationship with them. And others believe a distorted character of God that he's just an idea. 
made up in people's minds. And I find that more people that are, have kind of an analytic, scientific mind, they've really bought into this idea that everything can be explained about God in the human mind. That God is just a crutch that has been made up in our minds and that he doesn't really exist. He's just some figment of our imagination. And yet, when we look, we were just talking in Sunday school, there are, are scientists that are uh, intellectual, brilliant scientists that believe in God. They see evidence for God in everything, in almost every uh, physics theory or everything that is going on in the world, in the universe. They see a pattern, a design, a creator that created the world. And so... But Satan, what does he do? He distorts the image of God. And so he says, if you believe in a Christian, you must, you've got to put away your logical thinking and your rational mind and just take a leap of faith. And that's so untrue. Our faith is built on truth. It's built on rational thinking, but it's also built on the person of Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross for us. So... I want to encourage you in these 21 days of drawing near to God that a lot of the images that you've struggled with, that you bring those before the Lord. If there's things that you have in your mind that keep you or hinder you from drawing near to the Lord, I, I invite you, I challenge you to bring those before the Lord. And what does he want you, how does he want you to respond to him? So how do you view God? How does that affect your faith, your sense of belonging to God? How are you doing in that relationship? Do you have a sense of acceptance before God? Do you have a sense that He really loves you, cares about you, is involved in your life, and wants to be more involved in your life? You know, as we were looking at this in the book of Galatians, we're going to be in the book of Galatians today, there was a problem that the Galatians were having. They were a, a, a new believers in Christ. Some of them had come from a Jewish background. Some of them were Greeks, and some of them were uh, uh, Greek Jews. But they had been grown up in the temple and in the temple worship. And so when Paul came and preached to them, when Paul gave the message... There was people that got healed. There were miracles that happened. There was, there was a tremendous move of the Spirit of God. And then people gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And they said, Jesus truly must be the Messiah. And as Paul explained the scriptures and the prophecy that foretold of Jesus coming, that he truly was the Messiah, these people, they just came and gave their lives to Christ. And now he's writing a letter to them because... They've gotten off track. They've missed this relationship with God because they've gone back to try to keep the laws of Judaism. So that means like uh, circumcision and it means keeping holy days and it means eating certain foods and it means uh, following all the laws and all the traditions of the Jews. And, so they're adding on to their simple faith in Christ. They're adding on so much more. And Paul says, what's going on? 
And so they're basing more of their life and their relationship with God based on their performance or the things that they're doing rather than simple faith in Christ. And so he challenges them, and he challenges them with some questions. He says, I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? And so he's asking them, he's challenging them, he's saying, so how did you receive the Holy Spirit? Was it something that you did or did the Holy Spirit, when you opened up your life to Christ, did the Holy Spirit enter your life? And, they, and of course, it's a rhetorical question. So again, I ask you, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? And the Apostle Paul is saying, what is your faith based on? Is it faith based on God's love or is it based on your performance or your, what you do? And then he says, are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Meaning that it's all up to me. My salvation is all up to me. The things that I do, the things that I prove that I'm a Christian. And so the Galatians were confused. They had a distorted view of God. I'm kind of glad that they did. Because if they didn't have a distorted view of God we wouldn't know what the answer to this problem is. But Paul gives the answer to this problem. And so he's, he points them back to Jesus Christ because this is the problem with religion and um, our whole world system. It's always based on what you can do. It's always based on our achievements or what we can do, our human efforts, in attaining a relationship with God. And it's not based on Jesus Christ. It's not based on grace. It's not great based on God reaching out to us. And I want to tell you that that view or image of God distorts so many believers, even Christians. I mean, I've, I, I've fallen into this myself. That I think that my acceptance before God is based on how well I preached a sermon or how well, I'm, how well the church is doing or on everything outwardly that I can do or think I could do. And I mean, I can't even do anything like that. But you know how it gets twisted in our minds or can be based on how my children are doing. Or it can be based on how my marriage is. Or it can be based on a lot of things. And it's based on all these other things that we're measuring ourselves, but it's not based on Christ. So he says, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there's male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ... Then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And what he's saying is, if you're in Christ, you are accepted by God. You are actually his very own child. Rejoice in that. It's not Jesus plus a bunch of other things. It's only Jesus who accepts you and has forgiven you. And rejoice in that. And build your faith and your relationship with God based on that. 
You know, it's so easy to be miss the mark on this. And so later on in the chapter, he says, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. And th this is what it means to fall away from grace. Doesn't mean so much to fall into sin. It means to fall in to think that it's all your human effort. That this has got to be, I've got to do all this so that God will then accept me. And we're getting the equation all mixed up in our minds. And what it leads to is a lot of frustrated Christians, people that feel like they can never measure up to God, feel very distant from God. I can't pray. I don't pray as good as that person. So I don't, I'm not even going to go to prayer meeting. Because I'm not good enough. I'm not ready enough. I'm not going to get baptized because my life isn't all together yet. And what he's saying is you're, you're trying to make yourself acceptable before God. And he's made you acceptable in Christ. And I want to tell you, this, this is key and foundational to Christianity and to a relationship with God and drawing near to God. Because what can happen is if we don't understand this, there's no relationship there that's built on love and acceptance. But if there is that, that motivates you then to have a closer relationship with God. Like, how can I explain this? That's not in my notes, but I'm just thinking. So what happens, you know, if, if I... If I have a relationship with my son, right, and we were going to go to my favorite team, the Buffalo Bills that lost, right? They lost this week. But we were going to go to the game. And if my kids were younger. They were all, because I was a Buffalo Bill fan, even though we lived in New Jersey, they were Buffalo Bill fans. So I said, hey, we're going to go to Buffalo, and we're going to go see the Buffalo Bills game. And so we were going to go that weekend. You know what would happen? Uh, they would be so excited about that because they knew dad was going to take them somewhere where they really wanted to go. And they were going to go with me and we were going to enjoy the fellowship of the Buffalo Bills, whether they win or lose. You know, so you get excited about that. You get motivated to go that. You know, when we're talking about a relationship with God, he understands you. He knows you. He's the one that sacrificed himself for you. He has so much that he wants to give you and show you and teach you. He wants to take you on a journey with him. And he wants to take you on the very best journey in life that's possible. But if I think in some distorted way, or if my kids thought, I'm only taking you to the Buffalo Bills game, if you get straight A's, cut the lawn, rake the leaves, pick up your laundry, never disrespect me, I'm gonna t then I'll take you to the Bills game. They might think, gee, I don't know if I ever, did I do enough? I don't know if I did enough. They might try to do it, but I'll tell you, probably they'd be defeated by that because there's so many things. Would they ever measure up to the standard that I would want? And a lot of people are living that way with God. 
They're in this sense of guilt and shame. And Jesus has died for their sin. He's sacrificed him very self. God the Father so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. And yet we doubt that. We doubt that. And when we doubt that, we miss out on a close relationship with God. Some of you were in Sunday school and we went through Soul Keeping by Dr. John Ortberg. He uses a diagram that shows a grace cycle versus a work cycle. And so the work cycle starts with achievement. And it's all the things that we do that um, will hopefully gain us uh, significance. And uh, so we gain a significance. And then we, uh, because if we achieve, if we do well, if we do those things that will get us into the school or will get us a good job, then we have significance. Once we get our job, then we have significance. When we're unemployed, we have no significance, right? So uh, we have to have achievement, significance. Then we get a paycheck. And then we feel acceptance. Then we feel acceptance. But when these things start to break down, we never feel acceptance. Or then we gain a certain amount of acceptance, but then we have to achieve more to gain significance and acceptance. And then there's this situation here. This is the grace cycle. God gives us acceptance. Then... He sustains us. Then he gives us significance, and then we have achievement. What is achievement? It means being so in touch with God that he begins to bring fruit out of our lives, out of that relationship. And we are motivated then to serve him and love him. But it's not, it's not the other way around. So I want to encourage you what cycle are you on? And this is what the Apostle Paul was talking to the, to the Galatians about. He was saying, make sure that you know that no matter if you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, you're a man or you're a woman, you're a slave or you're free, you're all in Christ and Christ has accepted you and you have the same status. That was revolutionary in that day and age in the first century, to say that a slave had the same status as a free person. Or to say in God that a Greek or a Gentile had the same status and sonship as a Jew. That was unheard of in Judaism. But the Apostle Paul is saying, no, this is true. And this was cutting edge. I mean, there was no women's rights back then, okay? This was cutting edge. He's saying even a man or a woman in God, in Christ, at the foot of the cross, you are accepted as beloved children. There's not a hierarchy. A man is more important than a woman. This is God's love. This is God's grace. This is, this is revolutionary. But see, it hadn't gotten into their hearts. It had gotten into their head, but it hadn't gone through the platform or the head into the heart and dug down into their soul. It was only 
just words. And see, when the Bible is just words and it doesn't sink down into our soul, then we have no experience of this in our lives. And so the Apostle Paul is challenging them to go deeper with God. And so he uses this illustration. And it is a little bit different illustration because he says that uh, he uses this idea of inheritance. And so he, he says that, let's say you were underage and you were, uh, had inheritance, but the inheritance wasn't going to be passed on to you till the time you were 21. Well, then you would be under a custody. You would be under a trustee. And you would have to then um, submit to whatever the trustee or uh, those, your guardians that were in charge of you said. And he said, that's the same way when you were not a believer. You were under a custody or the guardianship of sin and the law. You knew you were a sinner. The law said you were a sinner, but you were stuck there. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. So what the Apostle Paul is saying, you're in slavery to the things of the world because you don't know the Messiah has come, grace has come, and you are now a son, a child of God. And so he says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that they might receive adoption as to sonship. And so he brings this up. He says, but when Jesus came, there was a change. The change happened is that any one of us can have this relationship with God, father to son. And it's a beautiful relationship. It is the greatest relationship. It's nothing like your earthly relationship with your father or your parents. It's so much better because God is the perfect parent. Does he discipline? Yes. But does he love us? Yes. Does he have the very best for us? Yes. Does he want us to know him? Yes. Does he want us to draw near to him? Yes. And does he want to draw near to us? Of course. And so that motivates our heart, that acceptance, understanding that motivates us then to be sustained by God and to experience him as a true father. Galatians 4, 6, and 7 says, Because you are his sons, and he uses this in the Greek, it is sons, because women were never, you never got an inheritance. Women never got an inheritance. Hardly ever. Would they ever get an inheritance? The inheritance always came to the son. And the son was the most important. Firstborn got a double portion. The firstborn son is, got the, gets the most. A double of anybody else in the inheritance. Think about that firstborn son. But don't think too far because in Christ, everybody's the same. All right? You don't have an advantage. You have a wonderful advantage in Christ that you are close. You are his son. God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Now think about that. 
God just didn't make you a son or a child. He made you an heir. And our golden verse says you're a joint heir with Christ, that God looks at you with the same acceptance as he does his son. And that's powerful. When our hearts get a hold of this, we then can understand this cycle of grace that God has for us. First, there's acceptance. There's an acceptance before God. Based on my performance? No. Based on my achievements? No. Based on Christ and what he's done for us, there's acceptance before God. And then there's sustenance. There's help. There's something to sustain us in life as we draw near to God. And then we have significance in the sight of God and then we can achieve. We can be motivated with the power and the strength that God gives. Romans 8, 15 through 17 says this, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live again in fear. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Here's that picture again. Paul says, the Spirit himself cries, Abba, Father, within us. But here it says, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. So the Spirit is crying out in you, know him as Abba, Papa, Daddy, Father, the one who loves you. Know him. The Spirit is always saying that. Sometimes we have to just get quiet in the presence of God. And... If you get quiet in the presence of God and you go before God and you say, God, do you have a word for me? Oftentimes, the word will be, I love you. I accept you. I love you. I forgive you. But you know, we don't even stop to listen a lot of times. We're, we have this caricature of God that he's distant, that he's unapproachable, that he can't speak to me, that is totally not of God. The Spirit, the Bible says, Paul said, the Spirit himself will speak into our lives and cry out, Abba, Father. It's not like a little quiet thing. He's crying out that in our lives. And I believe when we went forward last week, and a lot of people were praying here, and we were crying, the Spirit was bearing witness with your spirit, that he's going to help you, that he's going to strengthen you, that you're his child. I hope that was true. Because sometimes we can be crying out in repentance, but I want you to know, after repentance, there should be acceptance. There has to be acceptance. Otherwise, you're just trying to please God by your own strength in your own works. So the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Now, if we're God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So when we understand that, it makes a difference in our lives. When we don't understand it, when we get, the, when we get on the work cycle, and I'm telling you, our whole world system, educational system, political system, economic system, everything is based on a work cycle. So if you want to change to a grace cycle, you have to be intentional with God.
You have to be intentional in being in the Word of saying, okay, what cycle am I on right now? Am I being accepted by God? Am I, am I coming to God to be sustained by Him? Am I finding my sense that He loves me? Do I understand that? He wants to reveal that to you. Because He does love you. What are the action steps? Amen. Cries, Abba, Father. Is your view of God distorted? Why? Why would that be? Is your view of God distorted? You know, sometimes we just have to admit, you know, God, I really don't see you as my heavenly Father that loves me. And you begin there. Would you teach me what it means to be accepted by you? And, you know, a lot of times I used to say this, you know, so-and-so may not accept me, but I know God accepts me. You know, that is so freeing to know that. You know, because I'm, I'm kind of a people pleaser. I, I, I like to please people, and you know, I can't please everybody. But you know, so-and-so may not accept me, but God accepts me. That is so helpful to your soul. Is your view of God distorted? Why? Come near to God, and He will come near to you. This is, you know, our theme for the next few weeks here. Approach God. Take time to be alone with Him in His presence and take time to be alone with other believers and pray and draw near to God and see what He says. See what He's saying to you. Listen to Him. And know this. In Christ, you belong to God your Father. Live into that experience. You need to live into that experience wherever you are. <laughs> you know, it's just not at church. I hope when you go to work tomorrow morning, you're living into that experience. That you're living into the experience of God. You are my father. Not just at church. You're my father right here in the situation I'm in at work with the boss I don't get along with or whatever the situation is or the pressure or the anxiety that I'm going through. You are my Father. I want you to sustain me. I want to find my significance in you as your child. It'd be at work or school. Live into the experience and into the power of this relationship. I'll tell you, when we do that, when we do that, it'll have a change in our whole view of who God is, and it'll change the way we look at other people. Because if we have a distorted view of God, if we're critical, if we have a critical spirit and you're always criticizing, you're always picking out the flaws in somebody else, that is not a, I, I guarantee you, you do not feel accepted by God. You're living a life that's, you're not feeling very loved and accepted because the criticalness that you're feeling, it's being projected onto other people. And I doubt you're measuring up to what God expects of you. You know, so when we receive God's forgiveness and his love, it changes us. It can change us completely. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. And Lord, we ask that uh, 
You would help us to understand. Help us to see You as You really are. David prayed when You said, Seek My face, Lord, I sought Your face. Lord, help us to see Your face not in a distorted view of an angry, demanding God, but help us to see you as a loving, heavenly Father. Help us to see you as one who gave your one and only Son so that we could be in relationship with you. Lord, you love us so much. Would you give us the grace that we can come to a place of saying, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for accepting me. Thank you that you can sustain me. And Lord, thank you that I can draw near to you and I want to know you more. So, Lord, change the motivations of our heart. We pray this in Jesus' name.